Lord, we praise you. God, we come together today to worship your name, to hail you as king, to remember that you are Lord of all. And Lord, as we've sang and as we've prayed and as we've met together today, I pray that you would continue to be glorified as king, that you'd be continued to be glorified as the Lord over all, Lord, and that we would have a time today as we look to your word that we would be reminded of your supremacy, that we would be reminded of your kingship, that we would be reminded of our everyday dependence upon you for everything and anything that we have. So, Lord, remind us today of what you would have for us to know. Teach us for what you would like us to learn. And, Lord, transform us in the ways that you would want us to change. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. Thanks. <clears throat> For those of you who have been with us for uh, a little while here, you'll know that we've been going through the book of Colossians. Uh, We've been looking at the book of Colossians uh, for, uh, I don't even know, about four weeks now probably all in all. We we did have to um, veer away for a few weeks and uh, had an opportunity to speak even based on Colossians about comfort a few weeks ago. And then uh, Dakota was able to come and join us last Sunday. And it's interesting as Dakota came to preach, like he asked me what he should preach and he presented this idea of... David and Goliath and how that might fit in. His concern was that it would fit into what we've been talking about. And uh, as we think about what he preached last week about how Christ is the rightful king and he is the king that we can serve and he is the king that is our representative. And then today as we sing and we remember Christ the king, Christ the Lord, it, it all is coming together as we come back to Colossians and we continue to look at the supremacy or the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take some time this morning uh, to look at Colossians. We'll do a little bit of review and then we'll go on into what we're looking at today in Colossians chapter 2. Uh, before we get there, um, just to start our, our minds thinking about what we're going to be talking today, uh, talking about today, a lot of us have had kids, or if you haven't had kids, you were a kid, right? I think everybody's been a kid. Like, uh, I don't think anybody came into this world as an adult. Um, but specifically, I'm thinking about parenting now, but I think you can understand it even as maybe, a, even if you're still a child or a teenager or even a young adult, and you can look back at your life and you can see the steps that have been taken in order for you to become a mature adult. So uh, as a parent, though, I, you know, the thing is, is um, parents long for their children to mature well. That would be a fair statement. No, no parent wants their child to grow up to live with them until they're 40, uh, never have a, a life of their own, and never be mature and still be making inappropriate jokes at the dinner table. Um, every parent wants their child to mature, not only in those ways, but also in the ways of uh, understanding life and how life works. And, and obviously, in a Christian context, we want our kids to grow up to be mature in their faith and to understand who Christ is and to live out their faith. Uh, We pray and teach our kids towards maturity. Every parent does that. You pray for your kids. You pray that they'll become mature in not only in physical ways and social ways, but also in spiritual ways. And you'd pray and and you would hope for that to happen. Uh, Our hope for our kids is we want them to grow up and we'd want them to to develop in relational maturity, that they would uh, develop and understand how what it means to be a friend, what it means to uh, be... uh, a worker, what it means to be a spouse, what it means to eventually even be a father or a mother, to be a parent. And we want our kids to understand relationally how they can respond to one another and how can they respond to people and and not in an awkward, weird way and that they would be, in a way, relationally mature or not socially awkward, if you could say it that way. We also want our kids to grow up and be confident in who they are. We don't want our kids to grow up and think that they live in a, a life of of just complete disregard for themselves where it's like they're, they're terrible people and they don't deserve anything and their life is garbage. We don't want our kids to be there. We want them to be confident in themselves, confident in who God made them to be, confident in where, how they've been raised, confident in what they know, and, and not feeling like they're inferior to anyone else. We want them to have that confidence. We don't want them to be hiding in a corner whenever they're in a social situation. Um, we also, here's the big thing, we want them to act their age, right? I mean, like I said, we don't want... Uh, a 40-year-old living, uh, in, and if you are a 40-year-old living in your in your parents' house, I apologize. I'm not making a I'm not making a statement. I don't know if there's any of you here, and if I, if there is, you probably have already tuned me out. But um, there is a sense that you want to see maturity, and and you want to see uh, that you, people will act their age. That if you're an adult, you act like an adult, uh, and if you're a teenager, you act like a teenager. And and in that thought process, we've all had that kid and. 
Josiah's not in the room, so I can mention him, and he's getting to this age where he's seven going on eight, and he's starting to think that in some areas of life, he's an adult. Now, he's not. He's not even close. Um, and yet, he tries to pursue maturity or think that he can put himself in situations in which he can act like an adult. And I think all of us have known a kid like that. Maybe you were that kid. I know I was, and my parents would tell me all the time, like, just leave us alone, go do your own thing, because I was trying to fit in with my parents' friends and, you know, join in and say, and get in mature conversations that I had no idea what I was talking about. Um, and Josiah is following in my footsteps, so I can't blame him. Um, but we know that kid, right? That he's trying to become mature on his own. Like he's not letting it naturally progress and, or she. And, and that child wants to pretend that they're more mature than they are. And as a parent, we get really annoyed. And probably even as somebody else who is watching this kid, you get even more annoyed. I don't know. Maybe it's vice versa. But the idea here is that we like to see, we want to see maturity in our kids. And we don't want them to mature too quickly because then it gets weird. So there's this idea of we want to watch our kids mature. But when they try to do it on their own, it's usually a bad idea. Now I say all that because today I think the text we're going to look at in Colossians 2 is Paul as a parent in a sense, a parent of uh, these Christians that are in Colossae, even though he has never met them or known them, but he, he did have a part to play in the life of their pastor and their leaders that are now leading this church. And I think as a parent, or even you could almost say a grandparent in a sense for Paul, he's looking at the Colossian church. And he's not only looking at the Colossian church, but he's also looking at all the people that God has given the ability for him to minister to. And he wants to see them mature. He wants to see them grow. He wants to see them uh, to, to grow in relationship with one another. He wants to see them grow in confidence in the Lord. He wants them to, to start acting their age and do what is fitting for a Christian. And he wants them to be mature. And so as we think about that, we understand as parents, and we understand as people that we want to see people mature physically and emotionally and all those things in life. But Paul is specifically looking here at the spiritual maturity of people. And so we're going to get to chapter 2, but before we read that section of chapter 2 where he talks about this maturity and he talks about having strength of heart, uh, let's look a little bit back to where we've been so we can understand where we're coming into this text. If you remember from the time we've been together, uh, Colossians, the background of Colossians is this. There's a blending of beliefs that is coming together in Colossae. They're com- it's coming together. There's beliefs from all sorts of belief systems being blended together. Christianity is in, is in jeopardy in a sense because people are starting to say you've got to add either legalism or you've got to add this super spirituality type stuff and worship of angels and those type of things and these have to be added to Christianity for it to really be effective. And this is what the church is facing And Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians to remind them and to remind us that Christ is superior over anything and everything and he is all we need. That Christ being superior and preeminent is everything we need and there is nothing else we need to add to our faith. That if we want to have fulfillment in in life and spiritual fulfillment, it's all in Christ. And that's what Paul is continuing to remind us of. So as we've looked at that from the last few weeks that we've been looking at Colossians, we see first of all that Paul thanks God and prays for the Colossians, that they would understand the gospel. He then shows the supremacy of Christ by reminding us of who he is, that he is the creator, uh, that he is the sustainer, uh, and he, he does that in chapter 1 as well. And then the last time we were together, when we were looking at the end of chapter 1, what we saw is that Paul is showing the supremacy of Christ through Christ's act of reconciling the world to himself. That Christ is bringing the world from an enemy state. That it was an enemy to God. That there was no hope for the world. And they were in a kingdom of darkness. And yet Jesus comes and he gives us the ability to be in the kingdom of light with God himself. And that he has reconciled the relationship between God and man. And we can have peace. And we can have a relationship with God yet again. And at the end of chapter 1, Paul reminds us that he is a minister of this reconciliation. That the whole reason that he does ministry, the whole reason he preaches, the whole reason that he pours his life out, and the whole reason he's in prison and suffering is to preach the gospel, is to preach the gospel of reconciliation, that we were once apart from God, we were alienated, we had no hope, and now because of Christ and Christ alone, we have hope, we have the life with God once again. We have a relationship that is healthy. And so that's where we've been real quick in a nutshell. And if you weren't with us, I would encourage you to read chapter 1 and get to that point. Um, And that does bring us then to Colossians 
chapter 2. So Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the first eight verses. If you'd read along with me. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So we're going to be looking at those first eight verses, and we're going to see Paul is going to describe to us the fact that there is maturity that he is praying for. And to remind us of that maturity, we need to quickly go back to the last couple verses of Colossians chapter 1, specifically 28 and 29. So even though we've just read two, if you'd go back with me just a few verses and read the last two verses of chapter 1, this will give us context as we come in to chapter 2. In verse 28 of chapter 1, this is what we read. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Then that bleeds into chapter 2 where he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And then he goes on. Paul's struggle here, the, the word struggle is used twice if you notice this. In verse 29 he says he's struggling. He says he's toiling. And then in, in chapter 2, he says once again, he has a struggle for those who he's talking to. The idea of struggle, if you look at what the word means, it means to strive. It means, it's actually an athletic term, where you will strive towards something to the point of exhaustion. And that is what Paul is getting at here. He's saying, look, I am striving so hard, I'm exhausting myself, I'm willing to suffer, and I'm struggling. And I think. So it's his ministry that he is struggling towards something. Now that struggle that he has uh, most likely includes a vast array of things. It's his prayer life. It's the fact that he is struggling in, in prayer. Some people would say that this struggle that he's talking about is simply prayer. I think this is more than prayer. I think it's prayer. I think it's teaching. I think it's writing. I think it's the suffering that he's experiencing. All of these things that Paul is doing as a part of his ministry are showing us that he is striving. His struggle is for Christian maturity in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. As we go back, it says, what is he toiling for? What is he struggling with all God's energy? Well, that struggle is so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's struggle, Paul's striving, what Paul wants to do in order to bring himself to full exhaustion for the purpose of Christian maturity, that people will be more and more and more like Christ. That is Paul's heart. He wants to see people come to Christ and come to know him and then grow in him into maturity. And so we see here that Paul's uh, struggle is for Christian maturity. And that's an understanding that we need to have as we now go into chapter 2. That Paul's struggle is for the maturity of believers. That's through his prayers, that's through his ministry, that's through his teaching. He wants to see people mature in Christ. And so that kind of gives us a background when we come into chapter 2 where he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. Paul says, look, I want you to know the struggle, what I'm striving for. I want you to understand what this maturity is that I'm talking about because this is what my life is about and I'm struggling towards that end, so I want you to know about it. But he's not only talking to the Colossians here, if you'll notice. You'll see that Paul here, his ministry extends to those he doesn't even know. Paul understands that what he is doing is, is even having an impact. His prayers and his ministry are having an impact even on people he's never met and he doesn't even know. As we see this here in chapter 2, we know that he hasn't been to the Colossian church. We saw that in chapter 1. and he's, uh, So now he's saying, look, I'm sending this letter to you and to Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. Now if you think about this, it's obviously that Paul is talking to the Colossians here. Uh, this letter would also have been passed on to the Laodiceans, which were only about 10 miles away from Colossae. So we know that that's why those two are mentioned. And then Paul continues and says, anyone else who reads this letter... Now, who does that include? 
Yeah, I heard a few people. Right, that'll include us, right? We're reading this letter right now. And for all people who have ever, will ever read the book of Colossians, this is applicable to us. Paul is saying, look, I haven't met you, but I have some stuff that I need to tell you about what it means to be a mature believer. And that's where we're getting into here in chapter 2. Now here's, now what we see in verse 2 of this passage in chapter 2, as we continue to understand this idea of maturity, he says this, the reason that he wants them to know about this struggle for maturity is that their hearts may be encouraged. Um, Paul strives here, this idea of encourage, uh, it's the same word as comfort or counsel. Uh, it also can be translated strengthen. Uh, the idea of a comfort or a counselor, or even here, uh, if you have the word encouragement, it's all to strengthen somebody, to make them strong in something, to bring them from weakness to strength. And that is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, I want to encourage you. I want to strengthen your hearts. I want to strengthen who you are, your belief system, your will, your mind, your intellect, all of those things that I want to strengthen those uh, towards maturity. And that is what Paul says when he says, I want their hearts to be encouraged, to be strengthened. And so we see that Paul strives to strengthen hearts. And then he goes on after that. As he makes this point, he says, look, I want to remind you of the struggle towards maturity, and then I'm going to remind you here as well that I want to encourage you. I want to strengthen you so that you understand a strong heart and maturity go together. A strong heart strengthened in Christ will go directly into your maturity in Jesus Christ. And so then he's going to give us three. He's going to give us three uh, things that will give us spiritual strength or maturity. He's going to show us three things that will give us spiritual strength in our hearts. Or another way of saying that I believe is maturity. I think those are connected very easily in these passages. So that's kind of all a lot of introduction to get where we're going today. We're in chapter 2. We're continuing on now in chapter 2. Paul has made a point. He's almost made his own introduction in a sense. Uh, I struggle for maturity and this is what it looks like. And this is where we're going to go. Paul then starts talking here about what it looks like to be strengthened in heart or to be encouraged. What is he encouraging us towards? And so we're going to break this down this morning. As we look at our text today, um, these three things we'll see that will give strength to us. Paul starts out with a brief phrase that means so much to this process of maturity that he couldn't leave it out. It is here in verse 2 that we see that unity is vital for spiritual strength. Look with me at chapter 2 in verse 2 that their hearts may be encouraged, and then he inserts this phrase uh, that is so important to the understanding of strengthening of heart and becoming mature. He says, knit together in love. Paul wants to make sure that when he's talking to the Colossians, that they are not isolating themselves from one another, that there is a unity, uh, that strength is, first of all, given through unity in Christ, through unity in Christ, and that is the strength that we need to have amongst one another. We see this idea here in this passage where it says knit together in love. You think about knit together. Uh, I'm not a crafter, but my wife is, uh, and she does a lot of crocheting, and she does a lot of quilting, and, uh, and, and I understand what it means to watch something be knit together. It becomes inseparable. It becomes to the point where you, you would have to really work hard to rip that. Right now, my wife is working on a rug for my sister. Uh, it's like an elephant rug, and it's like got like four strands of yarn, and I'm watching her crochet this thing, and I've tried to crochet, by the way. It doesn't look good. But she's crocheting, and, and it's incredible how much strength and how beautiful that comes together as these as these strands of yarn are being bind, bound together, as we see them being knit together. And that's the idea here that Paul is showing, that if we want to be mature, if we want to have strength in our hearts, it's going to mean that we're going to knit ourselves, that we're going to be knitted together. Actually, it's not that we knit ourselves together. We'll talk about that in a minute uh, because he is actually uh, doing the knitting, which we'll talk about in just a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. But we are knit together in love. We see here that maturity grows out of love. If we are to be mature, if we are to be strengthened in our hearts, it, it starts with love for one another. It starts for love, and, and that is what he says. We need to be bound together. We need to be woven together in love. And we grow together as a body. That is an important truth here. We grow together as a body. If we want to grow in maturity, it'll be growing together. If we're knit together, then we will grow together. Real quickly to go over just a little bit further in Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, a little bit later on, we see another passage that talks about this very thing. Chapter 2, verse 19. If you turn over to verse 19. 
And it says this, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. That statement right there, grows with a growth that is from God. He is weaving us together. We are knit together. And what does he say? When we are knit together like the ligaments and the joints, when that happens, they grow together. There is a growth that will happen in the context of community, in the context of a spiritual community. So I want to take a quick little uh, rabbit trail, if I will. It's not really a rabbit trail because it has something to do with what we're talking about. I think in today's society, and specifically in today's churches, uh, there is this understanding uh, that if you want to become mature, if you want to have spiritual strength, that it's all about your personal disciplines. And it's all about reading the Bible every day, praying every day, and, uh, and making sure that you are doing those things. Because if you read your Bible enough, and if you pray enough, and if you, you know, sing worship songs on, a, on your prayer walk, then you will somehow become more and more and more mature. Now, I believe that is true. I believe you can see some maturity because you're looking to the Word of God But here's where maturity, that is not enough. Maturity is found in our connection with one another. If our spiritual disciplines are only between us and God and and we never use that towards our community, then we are missing out on what God says is true maturity. You see, you might know a lot about the Bible and you might even have a, a very emotional relationship with God through your prayer life, but if you are not living that out in a body of believers, if you're not living that out in a community, then there is an issue. You are not going to mature the way that God has called you to mature. mature. We are called to pursue Christ together. Um, an example of this that I've heard, and I'm not saying I've heard this from anybody specifically here, so please don't think I did if, I, if, if it's you, but I've heard this comment made, like, I didn't go to church today, but don't worry, I, I, I made sure I took extra time doing my quiet time today. Or we didn't go to church today, but you know we did read a couple verses at the breakfast table. Um, I do not believe that you can replace church with simple Bible reading. Church is more than just looking at the Bible. Church is a community where we serve one another, where we love one another, where we fellowship with one another, where we learn with one another, and where we grow with one another. And I would say be very careful. I'm not saying that if you ever miss a church service that you're going to be thrown straight into hell. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is be careful not to replace your personal disciplines, replace church with your, spiritual, your personal spiritual disciplines. You will miss out on the encouragement. You will miss out on the maturity that can be yours in the context of community. And that is furthermore brought out uh, in Scripture. And we're going to veer away from Colossians real briefly. And we're going to go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And, and real quickly, as we move over to Ephesians... It's just a few books ahead of Colossians. It's important to understand that history tells us that the, the letter of Colossians and the letter of Ephesians were sent at roughly the same time. That these were written around the same time, that actually there's a good chance that they were even delivered by the same person in the same time. So Paul wrote these in the same time of his life, and you're going to see a lot of parallelism between Ephesians and Colossians. And if you remember, Colossae and Ephesus are not that far apart from each other, 100 miles, which seems like a little bit, but really it wasn't that much. They were both on the same road. Uh, And so this letter goes to both of these churches, and they're going to be very interrelated. And that's why I think we see in Ephesians chapter 4 a parallel passage that we have to go to this morning to fully understand what Paul is trying to say. Uh, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, and many of you have heard this this passage before, but we're going to read verses 11 through 16 and just make a few few observations. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, starting in verse 11. And he gave, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of, uh, stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, which each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
I don't even think I need to talk too much about this passage for you to see how this relates to what we've been talking about in Colossians. The same idea of being bound together, of a body, and how every part works together, that we're joined and held together by every joint, those type of things we'll see. I think in verse 13 we specifically see a couple things. Uh, In this context of this passage, we see, first of all, maturity is seen in body ministry. That This whole passage, I would say, is talking about that, that maturity is seen or grown in a body ministry. And we see in verse 13, two things happen when we minister together, when we do the ministry together. First of all, we see that body ministry brings unity in verse 13. But we also see that body ministry brings knowledge of Christ. And unity and knowledge of Christ, it's interesting that those two things are mentioned. Because in back over in Colossians, where we're going to be coming back to in just a second... We've already seen the idea of unity, but next, Paul is going to start talking about this idea of knowledge of Christ. And as we come together, we can have unity, and as we come together, we can know Christ better, and we can mature and grow in Him. And so as we think about these ideas coming together, uh, the next point I want to make from Colossians and from Ephesians is this, that our unity here that we're talking about is given to us. Our unity is given to us. It is not achieved or worked for. It is already given to us. Here in Ephesians four fifteen and 16, while we're still in Ephesians, I'll read those and then we'll go back to Colossians. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, uh, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What is the source of the body growth? The source is Jesus Christ. It says he is the head and he is the one that brings the growth. He is the one that brings maturity. He is the one that brings unity. Back over in Colossians, if you turn back to Colossians chapter 2, we see this same idea. In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 2, still here, um, and you might not even catch this at first glance, But chapter 2, verse 2, says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Now we say, okay, you've already read that. What we don't see a lot of times when we read scripture is the tense that things are written in. The tense that this knit together is written in is in passive voice. Now if anybody knows anything about language, you know there's an active voice, hey, do something, and there's a passive voice, something has been done to you. And the idea here is that knit together is a passive is a passive form of the word that Paul is using. And the idea is this, that you are being knit together. Right now, you are being knit together by a knitter. And we see that Jesus is the knitter. Christ is the knitter, if you will, if that's even a word. But he is the one that is knitting us together. It is a word? All right, he's the knitter. We know, the Scrabble master would know that knitter is a word. Um, (laughs) That Christ is the knitter. And we saw that in Ephesians chapter 4. Now we see it in verse 2 that it's this idea that Christ is the one that is knitting us together. And I think the other important thing we understand is a second point under this unity being given to us is also that the Spirit is what unites us as well. That Christ is knitting us and he uses the Holy Spirit to do that. That we are united in the fact that we are in one Spirit. Verse 5 in chapter 2 of Colossians talks about that. I know we're skipping a little bit ahead. But Paul says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order. Now, I don't know if this... Now, in some versions, this is a capital S. In some versions, it's a small s. Uh, As far as, is this the Holy Spirit, or is this just Paul saying, Hey, I'm with you in my heart. Well, I think both of them can apply here. We think, how would Paul be present with people he hasn't met, and how would he be knit together with people he hasn't met? Well, that's only through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can knit us all together, whether we're with one another or whether we're apart. And so Paul is saying, look, even I have been knit together with you, and the Spirit unites us. Back in Ephesians chapter 4, I know I'm going back and forth on you. We'll get back to Colossians and stay there in just a second. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, a little bit earlier in the passage, before we got to what we read before, we see this this coming out very obviously. In verses 3 and 4, it says, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. 
And it continues on and says that we are one in so many other ways. But the Spirit is mentioned here. I believe that we are not only combined as Christ knits us together, he, Christ uses the Holy Spirit to bind us together. Because if the Holy Spirit is in me and the Holy Spirit is in you, then we are already united. Does that make sense? If the Holy Spirit and Christ are already within us and he is in you and he is in me, then together he is in us and therefore we are united. And so therefore, it is important that we understand that if we want to become mature, we will not fight against the unity that has already been given to us. And that's exactly what happens. You see, a lot of times we can preach a sermon about find ways to be more unified with your brother and sister, but the truth of the matter is you are already unified. The thing that you need to learn to do is not go against that unity. You see, we fight against it. It's not something we have to fight for. It's something we end up fighting against and we shouldn't fight against. Allow the unity that comes between us because of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit, living in us and breathing out of us, and therefore we can be united together. Use that to understand that we are united. In those times where it's tough to love one another, in those times where it's tough to sacrifice, where it's time when there's times when it just seems like it's hard to be part of the body, Remember that its unity has already been given to us and let's embrace it instead of run away from it. So I've gone quite a long time on that little tiny phrase. Notice it was only knit together in love, four words, and yeah, I spent most of my sermon on it. So, but I, think, I believe it's important. And I believe it's important as we look at other scriptures. We look at Ephesians. We look throughout the scriptures. You look at the whole book of 1 John, for instance, or you look at so many different comments throughout both the New Testament and even the Old Testament, and we see this pointing to the idea that community is vital, that you and me together as we are on this journey, if we want to mature, if we want to be strengthened in our hearts, if we want to live a life of strength and a life of maturity and understanding Christ, it's going to happen together. And if we divorce ourselves from one another in this process, we're missing out on what God has for us. So spiritual strength and maturity are given as we unite together. But our next point is this, that it is also given as we are assured of our faith through Christ. And this is where Paul moves on to in chapter 2. First of all, he says, we're knit together in love. And he says, what is it that I'm encouraging or strengthening you towards? He says, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, why would Paul talk about assurance here in this passage? Well, if you think about it, you know where the Colossian church is. They are struggling right now with trying to figure out if Christ is enough. And he wants them to be assured of this fact. He wants to be the, have them be so sure that Christ is everything and anything that they'll ever need that they will not be shaken. And we'll see that as we go through this passage. So strength is given through assurance in Christ. And where is that assurance found? Well, that assurance is found in the knowledge and understanding of God, of Christ. Assurance is found in knowledge and understanding. If you remember a few weeks back, it was probably about a month, maybe a little more back, and when we were at the beginning of Colossians, we looked at this idea of knowledge and understanding and how they play together. That knowledge is what we know and understanding is what we apply. It's not just knowing something in our head, but it's understanding it enough so that it actually makes a difference in our lives. And, 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 and Paul is reminding us again this idea of knowledge and understanding. If we want to be assured, if we want to be sure of Christ, if we want to be mature through our assurance, it's going to mean we know him and we understand him. That we are knowing and understanding and we are not only knowing with our mind, but we are also applying what we're understanding in our lives. And together, these two things equal wisdom. If you remember, we talked about that. Knowledge and understanding together, it's wisdom. It's knowing what to do and doing it. And that is wisdom. And here's the interesting thing, though. We see two things about this knowledge and understanding. The first thing, Christ is the object of these things. He is the one that we need to know. He is the one that we need to apply to our lives. Christ is the object of knowledge. He is the object of understanding. The person that we need to understand. It's not philosophy. It's not understanding anybody else. It's not understanding other religions. It's only understanding and knowing Christ. And he is the object of what we should be desiring. He is the object of what we should know and understand. And we can only come to that knowledge and understanding as we read his word, as we dive into what we've been told in scripture, and we get to know Christ more and more, and we get to understand Christ in the sense that not only do we know who he is, but we can start living like him, and and that is where he wants us to be. But here's the interesting thing. Christ is not only the object of these things, but Christ is also the source of these things. In verse 3, we see this when it says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm not saying that it's not important to understand things in this life or to understand culture or to understand academics. But what I do know is what Paul is saying is very simple. That if we want to have true wisdom in this life, true understanding, true knowledge, it's found in Christ and Christ alone. And he is the source. He is the provider of wisdom and knowledge. If you want to know life, if you want to have knowledge in life, if you want to live wisely, it's not going to be running to the world. It's going to be by running to Christ and running to Christ alone. We can only know anything we know as a result of Jesus Christ. As creator, as sustainer, as our Lord, everything and anything we know is directly as a result of him. He shows us what is, the, what is wisdom. He shows us what is knowledge. And it's in him and through him that we see knowledge and wisdom. So not only is it him that we need to know, but it's also anything we do know comes from him. It's all about Christ. Paul is continuing to hammer this point home. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. Our maturity, our strengthening, our strengthening of our heart is all about Christ. And in case he, the readers weren't getting this, in case we're not getting this, verse 4, Paul says this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Assurance cannot be found anywhere else. And this is what Paul is saying. No argument should be able to sway us. If we understand that all wisdom and all understanding and all knowledge is about Christ and it's through Christ, then we won't be drawn away by plausible arguments. Now, I like the idea that he uses plausible arguments here. A lot of us won't be drawn away from somebody who would walk in here and say, you know what, you guys are wrong in worshiping Jesus. You need to worship um, Michael the Arch- Archangel and Satan his brother. Okay, I'm, I'm just, if somebody walked in and said that to us, we would not be drawn astray. But if somebody comes in and has just a little bit of thing that, just a little twisting the truth, just a little bit, and there's this plausible argument that maybe we do need to add something to Christ. Maybe we do need to believe in uh, worship an angel or, or worship a saint or maybe we need to uh, maybe we need to do certain practices or or maybe we do need to really set this list of rules up and make sure we obey them to the T because if we don't then we might not be able to mature in our faith and we might not be able to truly live a spiritual life and have a relationship with God and those little things that can sneak in whatever it might be but Paul is saying look don't let those little things that might sound plausible d- distract you the plausible arguments that people are making are nothing compared to Christ. We look to Christ, Christ alone, through his word. We don't worry about what other people want to add in. And so then he continues on with this idea in verse 5 when he says, For though I am absent in the body, yet with you in spirit, we already looked at that, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He says, look, assurance can't be found in anywhere else. And assurance leads to steadfastness in the faith. We, are, we will be steadfast in the faith if we are assured in Christ and we understand that all wisdom and understanding comes from him and him alone. And Paul is writing here in an interesting way. He's actually saying to the church he's writing to, look, I already know you're strong. I already know that you are steadfast. Uh, and he's, saying, he's basically saying, I want you to stay that way. And he's saying, if you continue to remember that Jesus is everything, that Christ gives us all wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding, if you remember that, then you will stay firm, just like you already are, because he's rejoicing in that. And real quick, I'll say with our church, I believe this is where we're at. What Paul is talking about and what is coming to from the pulpit, from God's word here, this is not to a church who has already been drawn away. But I know it was John's main concern before he left us. He said, I just want to make sure that this church stays firm, stays faithful to the word, stays faithful to Christ and Christ alone. And that was his dream. That was his hope. That was his prayer. And you know what? As we think about that, that's exactly what Paul is saying too. Like, I just want you guys to stay strong. You guys are already strong. So my encouragement to us as a church is let's not let these plausible arguments come in. Now is a time that we need to stay strong for Christ and realize that Christ alone is what we need. There's nothing else that should come in and can come in. And so we see then assurance does lead to maturity, if you think about it. If you are confident in Christ and Christ alone, if you are assured in your faith in him, and you know that nothing else can distract you from that, then that gives you great maturity and strength of heart. So you have strength of heart in the, in the sense that we are together. We can have strength of heart together, and also as we are assured, we will be strong and we will be mature. 
But as we are united and assured in our faith, our steadfastness that we just talked about will also lead to change the way we live. It will lead to change the way we live. And that's where Paul goes next in this passage. In verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Strength is given through our walk in Christ. If we want to be mature, it is given through our walk in Christ. It is given, first of all, in unity. It is given as we are assured in Christ, and it is given as we walk in Christ. The first point we see here, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is Master. Jesus is the Master. Jesus is the Savior. He is the Lord. So we must live in Him. That is what Paul is saying. We must live and love in light of our relationship with Jesus Christ. That we will not only live ways that he has told us to live through his word, but we will love one another in unity. These things go together as we act and as we love. That is how we walk. We walk, it is about our conduct. It is about walking as Jesus did, as First John would tell us. And we need to walk as Jesus would because he is our Lord. He is our master and so therefore we live in him. But here's another cool thing as we look at this verse. Uh, and that is we see these things happening. So it says we need to walk rooted and build up in him and established in the faith. These three things, rooted, build up, and established, are three words, once again, going back to what we already talked about when we went back to being knit together, are passive words. Say, so what does that matter? Okay, so whatever. Well, it's actually really, really important because we see that the source of our walk is Christ's work. The source of our walk is Christ's work. He leads us. And all these phrases are passive in the sense that it has been done to us. So first of all, we see we've been rooted in Christ. Christ has rooted us in himself. Now, what is rooted talking about? Well, if you, if you know anything about agriculture, a plant or a tree cannot stand without a strong root system. They will die almost as quickly as you plant them if there's no roots that can be set in. And that's the idea that we are rooted in Christ, that deep down we are rooted in him and all our strength comes from him and him alone and we can't do anything or live anything without being rooted in him and christ says i have rooted you in myself and the fact that i came and i died for you and i loved you and i showed you the gospel and now i am i rooted you as you've accepted that gospel you have been rooted now another interesting thing we could talk about for a long time is and many of you have heard this analogy before what your roots are are going to determine what your fruits are And so if we are rooted in Christ, then the way we live and the fruits that we live through, it's going to be seen. If we are rooted in Christ, and he is our strength, and he is our sustenance, because remember, the roots also give us all the sustenance we will ever need. And those roots, if we are rooted in him, we are standing firm as he has rooted us. He has given us all that we need to be able to produce the fruit of righteousness, which that's a whole whole other sermon we could go into. So we see that Christ has rooted us. We also see that we have been built up in Christ. Christ has taught us and developed us. As we learn Christ is how we get, how we grow. So the roots have been set through Christ, but then the tree or the plant still needs to grow. And the idea is that Christ is the one that is growing us up and we are being built up and we are being matured. We are not maturing ourselves. Remember that analogy I made earlier about the kid who wants to mature himself too quickly? So many of us are doing that in our Christian lives and we think if we can somehow add spirituality or add legalism to our, to our faith, somehow we will mature quicker. Uh, that's not what we're told. We're told to let Christ be the one to mature us. It's natural for him to mature us if we will just get out of his way and let him. And that is what he's saying. He's been, I have rooted you in me. I am building you up. And finally have been established in the faith. Christ has given us the strength to believe. As we think about the root system, we think about being built up, we are now an established plant in a sense. That our faith has been established, but once again, Christ is the one that is giving us the the power to be able to believe. That he has given us the strength to believe and have faith in him. And so, all of this leads to one thing. And we say, okay, that's really important that we see that Christ is the one that has done these things. Because remember, we're trying to remember that our life, our spiritual life, our maturity is all about him. Well, if he's the one doing the work, then he's the one that gives us maturity. And then we see here, though, in this verse, the response that we have to have. Chapter 2, verse 7, at the end. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 
Here enters the only word in this, in this passage, really, the only word uh, out of these four uh, that is an active voice. It, it's, a, it's a word that is saying to do something now. And instead of what's been done, now it's what we do. And this is the response that we have as we look at what Christ has done. And that is thankfulness. We need to be thankful that Christ has rooted us. Christ has built us up. Christ has established us. Christ is all wisdom and knowledge. Christ is everything to us. Christ came to the earth as a man, lived a perfect life, died for us, rose again, so that we can have eternal life and not experience death and hell that we deserve. And we know that to be true. And what should be our response? Well, it's thankfulness. Why is thankfulness so important in maturity? Well, because if we're not thankful, we're pretty quick to remember or think that we somehow are the ones that deserve these things. If we're not thankful, we forget that we have not earned these things or we do not deserve these things, but God has given them to us, that Christ died, rose again, gave us everything we need, but he is the worker. He is the one that is bringing us to maturity. And when we thank him, and we thank God for his work, we thank Christ for his work, and we do that every time we come to the Lord's table, by the way. But we thank him and we remember See, I think thankfulness and remembrance are like either two sides of the same coin or you could say a circle. I like the circle idea. When we're thankful, it causes us to remember who God is. And when we remember who God is, it'll cause us to be thankful. And it's this constant circle that we have going on where our thankfulness will lead to our remembrance. And as we remember Christ, we remember that he is everything, then we can be truly thankful for all that he's done for us. And that gets us away from pride. It gets us away from all the things that will distract away from maturity, which is Christ-likeness. So our response is thankfulness. So now that Paul has made his case for how we can be strengthened in our relationship with Christ and mature in him, I believe Paul now comes to verse 8 and he sums up all that he's been saying. In a sense, he is the one today giving us the conclusion of today's sermon. Chapter 2, verse 8. He says all of these things that we've looked at, that we would be established, that we would be mature together, that we would be mature as we are assured in Christ, and that we would be mature uh, as we look towards our walk. And then he says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. I believe the conclusion that Paul is making in verse 8 here is very simple. He says, look, it'll be easy to be drawn away if you're not mature. It'll be easy to be drawn away by deceit. It'll be easy to be drawn away by philosophy. It'll be easy to be drawn away from human tradition or be drawn away from the elemental, elemental spirits of the world. Here's what Paul is saying. Spiritual strength is not found in human-made legalism or ultra-spirituality but in Christ alone. You see, we are in a society and in a a church in the general sense that we are trying to add things into our faith with Christ because we think if we can have a rule system that gets us to the point where we will obey enough rules that that will make God more happy. And sometimes it's the other way and we think we've got to over-spiritualize everything and and just be hyper-spiritual about everything and, and find ways to build into our faith that is other than Christ, whatever that might look like. You can add anything. And there's so, especially we think about human tradition. We think about what is it that we have decided that we need in our faith in order for our faith to continue or in order for us to please God. We need nothing else than faith in Jesus Christ. He alone is the one that we look to. He alone is the one that can bring maturity. Spiritual strength is not found in adding anything to him. And Paul is saying that here in verse 8. He says, don't let anybody confuse you. Don't let anybody try to talk you out of the fact that Christ, there's anything more important or needs to be added to Christ. He just got done saying all of this so that we will walk in Christ and know that he is the one that matures us. There is nothing else that can be added. There is no other way of living that can be added. Maybe that's legalism. Maybe that's something else. Maybe that is simply just thinking that we can live life on our own. But Christ is the one that brings true strength, that brings true maturity, that brings us closer and closer to him. It's not through rules. It's not through over-spiritualization of things. It is through Christ and Christ alone. So there's a few questions as we think about that conclusion. Are you searching to find meaning and wisdom in anyone or anything else other than Jesus Christ? Are you today looking to anyone or anything else to find wisdom, to find hope, to find love than Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? 
If that's you, make today the day you receive the gospel. The gospel that we've preached so many times from here up at the pulpit. The gospel that many of us have come to know and love. The good news that even in wherever you are and in your sin, Jesus came as a man, lived a perfect life, died for your sins, died for my sins, and then rose again to defeat sin and death and say, look, come to me. Have faith in me and look to me alone and you can be saved. If you have not done that, make today the day you do that. Are you a Christian today who is disconnected from the power of body ministry? I already talked about this quite a bit, but I would say this. If you want to be mature in your faith, if you want to be strengthened, if you're finding life is just putting you down and you need strength in your heart, you need maturity towards Christ, you need to become more like him, then don't be disconnected from the body. Body ministry is where you will find maturity. Find ways to plug yourself in. And that means more than coming and sitting in a chair on Sunday morning and running out as soon as you can. It means being here and loving one another and caring about one another and ministering to one another. Show up and love if you are one that is disconnected from the power of the body. Are you a Christian but are not confident in Christ alone? You find yourself being drawn away to following rules or drawing, following some way that the world is saying that we need to know spirituality better, that we need to be a more spiritual person in this way or that way. And you find yourself being drawn to those things. Look to Christ and Christ alone. Stop looking to other things and just look to Christ. Finally, are you a Christian and trying to do enough to be mature? That you're trying to work at yourself to be more mature. Like, if I do enough stuff, then eventually I'll become more like Christ. Yes, there is doing that is involved, but it's doing as Jesus is the source. Don't try to do it on your own power. You will never mature and you will never be in a place where you need to be if A, you decide to do it apart from the body of Christ, but even more importantly, if you decide to do it apart from Christ himself. Christ will be the one to build you up. Christ will be the one to mature you. In this time in our church and in this time in your life, are you looking to be steadfast? Are you looking to be mature? If you are, look no further than Jesus Christ and, his, and how he is revealed through Scripture. He is the one that can give you maturity that will last forever, that will be the maturity that he asks us to have. As Paul's desire was to see mature believers, it is mine as well, and I hope it's yours to see other mature believers and for you to be mature in yourself. And so remember that today. Uh, and, um, we're not, and I'm going to close in prayer because I took too long, so we're not going to sing a closing song. Um, but let's remember Christ and, and let's remember what he has done for us. Let's, let's close.